All right, good evening. Once again, it's a true joy to be with all of you here at Family Camp 5. I do want to start our time here this evening by just giving a word of thanks to Phil and Dave and Willie and our fearless program chairman, Jared. They have done a great, great job in making this week just a fantastic week. And I know we're at the beginning of the week, but still... Still, it's been a great week thus far, and pending the sovereignty of God in a negative way, it's going to continue to be a great, great week. And so I just want to give a shout out, a word of thanks to those four gentlemen, Phil, Dave, Willie, and Jared. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to all of you. You all have been very, very kind to me and my family. This is our first time here at Family Camp 5. It's not our first time at Family Camp per se. We've been at Family Camps 2 and 3 and 4, but this is our first time at Family Camp 5, and you all have been very, very welcoming, very, very nice. I don't know if that's authentic. I don't know if that's genuine, but at least to our face, you have smiled and introduced yourselves and shared some of your story with us, and it has been very, very nice. And many of you have complimented me, I think, on my energy, my enthusiasm, my spastic capabilities. I don't know how you're viewing all of this. And many of you may wonder, is this guy for real? Is he always like this? Well, yes and no. I am half Asian. I'm half South Korean. The other half is North Korean, right? As it's true, it's true, all right? It's not really, like, literally true, but, you know, there's something to be said about that, you know? I, 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 two parts to David Cotner, two parts, you know? I can be very quiet and contemplative. I'm introverted by nature, believe it or not. I am a professional extrovert that confuses many people when they hear me preach, like, that guy's not introverted. Oh, I'm introverted. <laughs> I'm very, very introverted. So there, there's a South Korean side, but then when I'm public speaking, often you'll see little tinges of North Korean come out. So if you're like, man, that guy's intense. Man, that guy looks angry. Man, there's something wrong with that guy. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> there's South Korean in me. There's North Korean in me. And God, in his grace, is going to use all of this for his glory. At least I trust him for that. So anyway, anyway, I just wanted to clarify the air on some of that. But I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be here. You know, I do believe that anything worth doing is worth doing well, so when I preach the Word, I want to be energetic and just get to it, because this is God's Word, and it's my job to present God's Word, not in a boring fashion, but in a most exciting fashion, staying true to the text of Scripture, and so I try to do that every time I open this fabulous book. Well, we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. I've already wasted so much time with the thank yous and little personal note of who I am, so we need to get busy with the word here. I tried to make very clear, even yesterday morning, that our camp's theme is a fantastic theme. It's a good theme. It's right on. It's correct. Life, it's more than a game. And again, I say yes and amen to that. Life is certainly more than a game, but like I tried to make very clear, even yesterday, it's not less than a game. So are you ready to play the game? If you are this evening, let me invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, will occupy all of our time here this evening. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Notice the sacred text as outlined here 
in Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when you hear Proverbs 3, verse 5 read or recited, do you have trouble immediately jumping to verse 6? There's just something at least within me that wants to hug verse 5 right next to verse 6 and rattle off two sentences instead of one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. There's something within this preacher anyway that when I hear Proverbs 3 verse 5, I immediately want to rush to the second sentence and go right into verse 6. But can I say something at least as it refers to our English translations here? Proverbs 3 verse 5 ends with what kind of grammatical notation? A period. A period. Not a comma. Not a semicolon, but a period. Recognizing or indicating that there's a full stop that needs to happen there. Not a brief pause where we then jump into the next section there in verse 6. So I want to take some time in this installment here, in this mini-series, to just take a hard look and take a hard stop here at Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The big idea here this evening is really quite simple. To successfully play the game of life, you need to trust the Lord. And side note, comment, footnote, comment, but hear me on this. Trusting the Lord is hard, is it not? It's difficult. I was talking with one of our family campers by the name of Olga. Olga, are you here this evening or have you left? There you are. Olga was sharing a little bit of her life story with me and my dear wife, Heather, and she was sharing in particular her journey with the foster care system that led to the adoption of three boys. Am I correct? Three boys. And she said something in that little conversation there in Jensen that really just hit me like a ton of bricks. She said that as she was going from fostering to adopting, she knew that she needed to trust the Lord, but then she said without, without much you know, thought to it, it just came so naturally to her, she said, but trusting the Lord is, is hard, it's scary. Trusting the Lord is scary. And when she said that, I realized something, she's really been through something hard and she knows what it means to trust the Lord. You know, I've, I've been alive long enough and in ministry long enough to know when someone hasn't really gone through something hard because you'll be emoting or describing your difficult situation and they will flippantly say, just trust the Lord. You just got to trust the Lord on that one. He's sovereign. You know, he's God. Don't, don't even worry about that. It's like, really? Have you been through anything hard before in your life? Anything difficult? Anything gut-wrenching? Yeah, we're to trust the Lord, but trusting the Lord is hard. It's difficult. It's scary. It's scary. But it's exactly what we're admonished to do here in the text of Scripture, here in Proverbs 3, verse 5. To successfully play the game of life, you need to trust the Lord. 
Bow with me in prayer before we get too far into this message. Father in heaven, we just come before you right now so grateful and thankful for who you are and for what you do in our hearts and lives. You are indeed holy and beautiful and powerful and altogether the sovereign one of the universe and we bow in your presence. And God, we confess here collectively as Family Camp 5 that we're nothing like you. We're not completely holy. We're not completely beautiful and powerful. We're definitely not sovereign over anything. We are distinctly different from you. Indeed, we are sinners who sin. And many of us, all of us in some form or fashion, even today, have sinned in affection, thought, word, or deed. So forgive us. Wash us anew with your grace and your mercy. Give to us, though we do not deserve it, your peace that surpasses human understanding. And God, we're so thankful, even though we're nothing like you, we are sinners who sin, we are so thankful that you're our God by grace through faith in your son, Jesus. And God, very specifically, we're so thankful for the sacred text of Scripture. You did not leave us to our own devices. We don't have to meander about aimlessly in this life trying to figure things out. No, you've given to us your son and your spirit and your word, and we're so grateful for these things, specifically your word here this evening. And oh, how your word is true. Help me to preach like it's true. Oh, how your word is true. May they listen like it's true. Oh, how your word is true. Would you transform us all by your word of truth, specifically here in Proverbs 3, verse 5. For it's in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, it's confession time here at IRBC. It's confession time here at Family Camp 5. As I contemplate Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, I need to confess that even as a pastor, I struggle to live out the admonition that's found in Proverbs 3, verse 5. In many ways, Proverbs 3, verse 5 is very easy to study and very easy to preach. This is not rocket science. This is not brain surgery. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But I must confess to you that as a Christian, as a Christian pastor, I've been pastoring now for almost nine years, I still find it a struggle to live out the admonitions found here in Proverbs 3, verse 5. Let me be very transparent, and hopefully my transparency is helpful and not a distraction to you. But I find that transparency is needed in many of our churches and in Christianity in general. So hopefully my transparency is helpful, not a distraction. Let me paint for you a very common scenario that happens on many, on many Sundays. Let's say it's a given Sunday, I'm done preaching, and after I'm done preaching, I have five distinct conversations with five different people. I'll probably have more conversations than that, but for sake of time and brevity, I'll outline five. After I'm done preaching, someone approaches me and says, Pastor, Please keep me in your prayers. I just found out I have cancer. The second conversation, someone zips on by and says, Hey, Pastor, hey, real quick, I know you're busy, but give me a call sometime this week. I got something I need to talk to you about. Conversation three is a dear couple. They come up almost bouncing to me. Pastor, Pastor, we're finally engaged. Check out my ring. Hey, we've chosen some dates as possibilities for our wedding day. Could you check your calendar to see if any one of these dates would fit into your schedule? 
Conversation number four goes something like this. Older guy comes up, concerned look on his face, and he says, Pastor, attendance seemed down today. And by the way, so-and-so has been gone for three weeks now. I wonder if something's going on. Conversation five is little miss old lady who's always filled with an encouraging word. And she comes up to me and says, Pastor, and she says this every Sunday, what a nice sermon. Thank you so much for preaching God's word. And then she walks off. Five distinct conversations with five different groups of people, very common, very normal, very natural in the life of a church and when it comes to a pastor and his people. But do you know what I am tempted to do hours after those five distinct conversations? It's now Sunday at 2 p.m. You know what I am prone to do? My wife can tell you. My kids can tell you. I am prone to analyze and reanalyze and reanalyze again all five of those conversations. That is, I will think over and over and over and over and over and over and over again every single one of those conversations, parsing out exactly what they said and what they possibly meant by what they said. With the first situation, Pastor, please pray for me. I just found out I have cancer. I've made a promise in that moment to dear so-and-so that I would pray for them. So I think to myself as I'm hyper-analyzing the situation, did I write that down? Did I put that into my planner? I promised I would pray for so-and-so. It's the pastor's job, literally his job, to pray for his people. Did I write that down? So I'll check and I'll double check and I'll triple check. And then I'll think to myself, she has cancer. She has cancer. I hate cancer. Here we go again. Our church has been struck with cancer so many times. I hate cancer. Why does cancer even have to be a thing? And I'll think and I'll analyze and hyperanalyze. And all of that leads to anxiousness, sadness, a form of depression, and definitely some twinges of OCD. With that second conversation in which the person comes up and is very adamant that I need to give them a call because they want to talk to me about something, you can imagine that hours later, what am I thinking? What does so-and-so want to talk about? Did I offend them? Did I make them angry? Are they about to leave the church? Do they hate me? Like, what, what, what's going on? What, what do you mean give you a call? There's something you want to talk to me about. Can you be any more cryptic than that? Can you just cut to the chase and tell me what do you want to talk about? A little side note, comment, footnote, comment. If you're a church member and you need to talk to your pastor, it would be very helpful if you said to your pastor, this is not an emergency. I love you and do not hate you. I do not plan to leave the church. I just simply need some counseling on this or that situation. Please don't be cryptic. Thank you, yes. But hours after that conversation, I'm hyperanalyzing the situation, and by the time I'm done hyperanalyzing the situation, I've concluded that so-and-so hates my guts, and I probably hate them too. The result is I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm depressed. I'm definitely OCD. That third conversation in which that bubbly couple has come up and said, hey, we're engaged now, check your calendar, see if any of these dates would work. Of course, I'm hyper-analyzing the situation. Did I write down to actually check my calendar concerning that situation? Then I think through my premarital counseling and think to myself, oh my goodness, is it even any good? Do I have good premarital counseling? Is it old and stale? Do I need to update it? 
Then I start thinking about marriages and how many of them end in divorce. And just like with the cancer situation, I think to myself, why does divorce even need to be a word? Why is it even a concept in our world today? And all of that leads to anxiety and sadness and depression and OCD. That fourth conversation in which that crusty old guy has come up and made it very clear that attendance seemed down today and -and so-and-so has been gone now for three weeks. And the hours after that conversation, you know, you know what I'm thinking, right? Oh my goodness, he's right. Attendance did seem down today. Is it because of me? Is it my preaching? Am I a poor preacher? Do I preach too loud or too soft, too long or too short? Am I too animated? You know, am I too North Korean? Like, what's going on? Why is attendance down? Why are people leaving? Why is so-and-so gone for three weeks? What's going on? All of that leading to anxiety and sadness and depression and OCD and that fifth conversation. Like, what, what could I possibly hyperanalyze about little old granny coming up saying, nice sermon? I'll tell you what I can hyperanalyze. Was she for real? Was my sermon actually nice? Or was she just being nice by saying the sermon was nice? Maybe she's a fraud herself and she thinks my sermon was like bad. I'm a bad preacher. I need to up my game. I need to go back to school. Do I even know anything about this book? All of that leading to anxiety and sadness and depression and OCD. I probably belabored the situation here. I'm just trying to paint a picture. I'm trying to confess. I'm trying to be transparent. I'm trying to be honest that as we approach the sacred text here in Proverbs 3, verse 5, I know what it says. I know what it means. And I'm ready to serve it up to you and say, thus saith the Lord. But I need you to understand that the vessel being used to communicate truth is still working on figuring out how to do this in the real of my life, in the Sunday through Sunday of my real life. I'm still trying to figure out how all of this works. And I know you guys are in different places. Not all of you are pastors. You've got different situations, different conversations for sure. But I know that you're more like me than unlike me. And some of you get it. Some of you know what it's like to really struggle with trusting the Lord in the Monday through Saturday of your real life. You know, I Googled my symptoms in preparation for this message. I Googled my symptoms on WebMD, which only increases my symptoms and my anxiety and sadness, depression, and OCD. But I plugged in all of my symptoms into WebMD, and here's what WebMD spit out. You're a 35-year-old male, anxious, sad, depressed, a little OCD, conditions that match your symptoms. Everything from generalized anxiety disorder to phobic neurosis, which again only increases all of my symptoms. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm about to preach the sermon. <laughs> what is wrong with me? But then I approach God's word. What does the Bible say? And I'm not trying to be cutesy when I say this. Please tune in and hear me. What does the Bible say about everything I've just rattled off to you? It says, David... David, you're 35 years old, anxious, sad, a little depressed, definitely OCD, conditions that match your symptoms. You are not trusting the Lord with all your heart. You are leaning on your own understanding. 
Now, side note, comment, footnote, comment, especially for you doctors, nurses, medical professionals in the house, please hear me and do not tune me out. I in no way, shape, or form am discrediting doctors, nurses, and the medical community. I in no way, shape, or form am trying to discredit even WebMD. I'm not trying to have this false dichotomy of WebMD and the Bible over here. When it comes to holistic soul care, if I can use that phraseology, some of you are familiar with that phraseology, when it comes to holistic soul care, what is needed is both an emphasis on the physical and immaterial aspects of man, the mind, body, the soul, and the spirit. Okay, so I'm not discrediting the medical community at all, but I am saying this, and I want you to hear me carefully. A lot of what passes as disorders and medical problems are in fact sin problems, giving birth to mind-body problems, and the ultimate remedy is found in God's Word. That's what I mean, and I mean what I say, and I say what I mean, okay? And if you didn't like that phraseology, I actually meant all that. I meant all that. A lot of what passes as disorders and medical problems are in fact sin problems, giving birth to mind-body problems for sure, but the ultimate remedy is found in God's word. I am so tired of everything having a label. Everything has a label. God's word, if you want to use the term label, God's word has labels. You know, we, 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 we want to slap on things like you've got generalized anxiety disorder. You've you got phobic neurosis. No, the Bible is clear. You're not trusting the Lord. You're not trusting the Lord. You're in fact leaning on your own understanding. So how do we trust the Lord in real life? How do you do this in the Monday through Saturday of your real life? And I'm not talking about the Monday through Saturday here at camp. It's easy to trust the Lord and praise Jesus at church camp. It's much more difficult in the Monday through Saturday of real life when you're back at home, right? In your community, at your place of employment, it's real hard to trust the Lord in the real of your life. How do we do this? Well, let's tackle Proverbs 3, verse 5 from back to front because it'll be fun to do that. We'll start with the back half of verse 5, then work our way to the front half. We'll start with the negative aspect of verse 5 and then go to the positive aspect. But first, cookies on the low shelf. In order to trust the Lord in the real of our lives, we, number one, thoughtfully and willingly practice intellectual humility. That's the last half of verse 5. And secondly, we thoughtfully and willingly practice heartfelt submission. So just two blanks, if you are a note taker and you're filling in your blanks, there are your blanks. How do we trust the Lord in real life? We thoughtfully and willingly practice intellectual humility and heartfelt submission. Let's tackle these one by one as far as the text of scripture is concerned. Number one, we thoughtfully and willingly practice intellectual humility. This is how we trust the Lord in the real of life. Notice the end of verse 5. And do not, do not, do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean, don't rest upon, don't place your full weight upon your own understanding. Your own intelligence, your own thoughts, 
or the logical reasoning of your mind. Do not place your full weight upon your own understanding, your own mind. Your own mind. Because can I say something? Your mind is finite and small. And so is mine. Now, objectively, in a room this size, in any room filled with people, there's actually the smartest individual in the room, okay? Now, if you're here and you think you're the smartest individual in the room, you've got humility problems, that's another sermon for another time, okay? But very objectively, black and white, there is someone in this room who is literally the smartest by IQ and education, right? There is someone in this room who is the smartest individual in this room. So let's say it's you. Let's just flatter you and say it's you, okay? It's, it's you. You're the smartest person in this room. Even if that were true, your mind, your brain is finite and small. When you stack it to the other geniuses in this world, and definitely when you stack your mind, your brain, next to God's. And I meet so many people in pastoral ministry that don't seem to understand that their understanding of things in their mind, in their brain, is finite and small. I have people after a service come up to me in my office and with tears in their eyes, angry tears in their eyes, and a clenched fist, if God is so good, why did he allow this to happen to my wife? If God is so good, why, why, did, why did God allow this stuff to happen to my kids? They were abused in that situation. I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. I, I, don't, I don't understand how we can call God a good, good father. And all this mess has taken place in my life. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to beat up on such people. As a pastor, I need to be kind and empathetic and patient with all. But in that moment, oh, there's a part of me that just wants to say, you don't see the full picture. And of course, as a pastor, in a moment like that, you just can't like blast people with that you know, 30,000 foot truth, but there's some truth there. You don't see the full picture. As nasty as the situation is, you don't see the full picture. Illustration might help. How annoying would it be if you had Friday night movie night? It's Friday night movie night, and you're watching a movie. Of course, you're watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, because that's like what is awesome to do on a Friday night, right? And you're watching these movies, and you're now at the two towers, you know, that middle DVD, you know, the middle of the story. And you have a friend waltz in to your living room, eats your pizza, sit on your couch, never seen these movies before. And, you know, he's watching for 15, 20, 30 minutes. And then he gets all fed up, pauses the movie and goes, I'm done. I am done. The darkness is winning. The orcs are advancing. The good are not winning. This is bad. I'm done. I'm done with this, this is depressing, this is awful, this is bad, I'm done with this, I'm out of here. What would you say to your friend after you punched them in the face? What would you, what would you, what would you say to your friend? In the name of Jesus, you'd punch them, what would you say to your friend? Unpause the movie, bro. Unpause the movie, the, the story's not over yet. Yes, we're halfway through this trilogy. The darkness is advancing. The orcs are menacing. The good guys seem to be losing, but the story's not over yet. And you've got family and friends 
that need to know this from you. The story's not over yet. You don't see the full picture. Again, I don't know why certain things happen. I don't know why children are abused. I don't know why, you know, death in awful ways takes place into our families and friend units. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't. I don't think I ever will. But I do know this story's not over yet, and our understanding in our minds and our brains is finite and small. We just don't see it all. And so this admonition is clear. Do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because your brain is finite and small. It doesn't see the full picture. Your mind by itself is not worth trusting when it comes to the decisions of life and the morality of life. You need God's mind on the matter. You need God's truth on the matter. You need God's wisdom on the matter. Where is that found? This book. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Don't tune me out. Oh, there we go again with every preacher saying that. Listen, good preachers will tell you that. A doctor always has back pocket information for you. Eat healthier and work out. More vegetables, a little bit more cardio. A good doctor is going to tell you that. A good preacher, amongst many things, is going to say, read your Bible and pray every day. Because when you do that, you reorient your heart, you reorient your life around the Lord, and you're better able to trust Him in the real of your life. Side note, comment, footnote, comment. Sorry for all the side note, comments, footnotes, but here's another one for you. How do you know if you're actually trusting the Lord in the real of your life? Maybe you're listening to this message and you're like, I, I do that. I trust the Lord. How, how can you really know that you're trusting the Lord in the real of your life? Well, here's a simple litmus test for you. When things get really difficult and dicey, trace your comfort. You want to know if you're really trusting the Lord, like, not in a nebulous, like, you know, ethereal situation. You want to know if you're actually trusting the Lord in this, like, real situation, like the situation you wrote in that box that Pastor Josh encouraged us to do this morning. Do you really want to know if you're trusting the Lord in that situation? Trace your comfort. You're thinking, analyzing, hyperanalyzing, doing whatever routine you do to figure it all out, only using your understanding, your intellect, your mind. Where do you go to for comfort, ultimate comfort? Because it gets stressful. Oh, when you live life based upon your own understanding, that is a stressful life. What's your stress relief? Oh, it's nothing sinful. I mean, I, 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 trace your comfort. Where do you go for that pressure release? Because to live life based upon your own understanding. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You, you're there with poker faces. You know what I'm talking about. This is how you live your life. It's all on you. And you give lip service to Jesus. You know, you'll throw in a prayer, you know, just, you know, hours and hours of like driving yourself nuts and then a little prayer, God help, God help. But living your life based upon your own understanding is stressful. So what's your stress relief? Trace your comfort, your ultimate comfort if you want to know if you're really trusting the Lord in the real of your life. So how do we do this? Trust the Lord, we thoughtfully and willingly practice intellectual humility. But secondly, we thoughtfully and willingly practice heartfelt submission. 
Notice the beginning part of verse 5, the positive of verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with, say it with me, all your heart. Key word, all. What does all mean in Hebrew? It means all. It means all. That's what I know about the word all in Hebrew. It means all. It means everything. You, you, you rest upon or place all your weight or submit all of yourself to the mind of God, knowing this much. He knows more than me. Do you believe that? Man, some of you need to walk away from Family Camp 5 with this as your mantra. I don't know much, but I know this much. He, that is God, knows more than me. He knows more than me. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. His ways are better than my ways. His plan is better than my plan. He knows more than me. Do you believe that? Do you live like that's true? What does heartfelt submission to God look like in your marriage? All right, just, just do, okay, let's slow it down. I talk too fast, I get too excited, I get too, let's slow it down. Let's analyze, for real. Come on now. What does heartfelt submission look like in your marriage? What problems or issues do you have? And don't act like you don't have them. <laughs> if you've been married any more than, than a day, then you've got some issues. Okay? It's just the way it is. What does heartfelt submission to God look like in your marriage, in your parenting, at school, in your retirement, with that wayward child? Now, now, now look, I don't know many of you. I don't know your story. I'm not calling anyone out. I haven't been secretly recording you, you, you know, hiding in the bushes, all North Korean style, you know. I don't know your story. I'm not calling you out. Don't, don't have heart palpitations in this moment. You know how many people I've met that have wayward children? Man, that's a heartbreaking situation. I pray to God I never have that situation, but I have five kids. Come on now, statistically, the chances of one of them, a couple of them going astray, it's very high. And let me say this, side note, comment, footnote, comment, I don't have time for this, I'll just say it. There are far too many parents that take far too much credit when their kids turn out well. And I've got far too many parents, and you know parents like this, that take far too much blame when their kids turn out poorly. You know, you can parent perfectly, and your children, all of them can turn out horribly. You know, you can be the worst parent ever, and by God's grace, all of your kids could turn out loving Jesus and serving Jesus. I'm not advocating being a loser parent. I'm just saying stop with your magic formulas and your magic books, and like, yeah, I do this, and this is gonna happen. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. And for the parent or parents or grandparents that are out there, I don't know you, I don't know your situation, and, and you have this heartbreaking situation, someone is wayward, they were raised in the truth, they know the truth, and they're just out there, hook, line, and sinker in the filth of this world. What does heartfelt submission to the Lord look like in your situation? Because what do you want to do? You want to plan again. You want, you want to reach out again. You, you want to try this again. You, you know, what are you going to do? And I've met some people like you in that situation. And man, for some of those people, heartfelt submission to the Lord with a wayward child simply looks like this. I do nothing but pray for them. 
I love them when I see them, and I pray for them. And that's so easy for a guy like me with young kids to say. That's so easy for someone like me to say. But man, like Olga said, trusting the Lord and the real of life, it's hard. It's scary. And if that describes you, you are simply just loving your child or grandchild and praying for them, I praise God for people like you. You're living out, trusting the Lord with all your heart in that devastating, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching situation. That was not in the notes, and I need to get back to my notes. Sorry about that. The bigger question is simply this. What does heartfelt submission to God look like in the categories of your life? Marriage, parenting, retirement, wayward child, disability, disease, etc., etc., etc. A key connection that I would like to make, connecting this message to our message even yesterday morning from Proverbs 1, verse 7. Did you know that biblically speaking, big picture, 30,000 feet, that trusting the Lord is intimately connected to fearing the Lord? Fearing the Lord, that holy respect for the beauty and power of our great God. How do we demonstrate that we're really fearing the Lord? That we're in all of his beauty and power, his perfection, his divine perfections? How do we know that we're really in holy respect of all that? We trust the Lord. Perhaps an illustration might help. I think I mentioned briefly yesterday that I had the privilege of serving the U.S. Army from 2006 to 2010. I was a nerd. I was an intel analyst. But the only cool thing, or the one cool thing that I did when I was in the service was I was a paratrooper. How many know what a paratrooper is? Yeah. Intel analyst, smart. Paratrooping, dumb. Because paratrooping, <laughs> paratrooping is jumping out of a perfectly good airplane at about, thir- you know, about three or 4,000 feet. You jump out of an airplane. I will tell you, based upon experience, that I had a healthy fear for the plane, 3,000 feet, 4,000 feet, whatever the altitude was. I had a healthy respect for my parachute and what it was capable of doing. But none of that was a lick of good until I actually did what? Jump out of the plane. Oh, you fear all of this? You have a healthy respect for all this? The beauty and power of the U.S. Army on display with paratrooping? You respect all that? Prove it, soldier. Jump. Green light, go. Get out of here. Trust what you say you fear. You say on Sunday or at church camp, I love Jesus. Oh, he's so beautiful and powerful and sovereign. Good. When Monday comes rolling around and it's jump time, are you going to jump? You're going to trust this God that you say you fear? Are you going to trust this God that you've worshiped on Sunday? You're going to trust this God in the real of your life and actually jump out of the plane? You're going to trust him? We've got too many Christians in churches today that fear the Lord to a degree, but not really because they're not trusting the Lord in the real of their life, in marriage, parenting, retirement, wayward child, whatever the case might be. Notice again Proverbs 3 verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord. So like the fear of the Lord, who are we trusting? The Lord. Yahweh. 
the self-existent one, the sovereign of the universe, it is he that we trust, not ourselves, not our understanding, not our intellect, not our mind. We're trusting the Lord. And we're trusting the Lord how? Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. Something we'll talk about extensively in tomorrow's message from Proverbs 4, verse 23. But it's interesting that we trust the Lord, we follow the Lord with our hearts. But we don't trust or follow our hearts. Why? Because contrary to Disney+, Plus, your heart, i.e. your mind, isn't worth trusting. I want to go on with that. I want to push more on that. Do you get that? Your mind, your heart is not worth trusting. Your emotions, can I stack that on there too? Is not worth trusting. Your feelings are funny, fickle, fleeting things. Don't trust them. We trust the Lord with all of our hearts. The bottom line is we don't know everything. We don't see the full picture. But God does. He knows everything. Do you get that? Okay, you're tuning out. You're packing up. You're ready to go. I'm almost done. Don't do that to me. Just give me one more minute. 8, 10, I'm supposed to be done. Phil said it or he fires me. Okay, listen. You don't know everything. But God does. He never has to learn something new every day. Let that sink in and blow your mind. You can trust him. He knows everything. So you can place your full weight upon him, fully trusting him, jumping out of the plane. He's got you. He's always had you. Paul David Tripp states it best when he says, I'm increasingly persuaded that there are only two ways of living. One, trusting God and living in submission to his will and his rule. Or two, trying to be God. End quote. There it is. Thank you, Paul David Tripp. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. You can either trust the Lord with all your heart, or when you get back home from Family Camp 5, you can assume the throne and play God. And oh, by the way, that's called idolatry. That's wrong. That's bad. Stop it. Don't do that. Trust the Lord. Don't trust your own understanding and try to be God. Let God be God and trust Him. Amen? Time has evaporated, and it's 8.10, so Phil can't fire me. I got more sessions to go, but this has been good. Let's look to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father in heaven, how grateful and thankful we are for your holy word. How grateful and thankful we are for Proverbs 3, verse 5. And God, I just pray for these individuals. Many of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but certainly not all of them. Some of them are searching, they're skeptical, they're figuring things out. They have yet to submit their lives to the Lord of glory, to your son Jesus. So God, for my brothers and sisters in this room, help them this week and especially next week to live out the truths of Proverbs 1-7 and now Proverbs 3-5. Help my brothers and sisters to fear you by trusting you with all of their hearts not leaning on their own understanding. But God, for the individuals that are here that are good people, just not godly people because they don't know your son Jesus in a personal way, I pray for them. 
that they would come to a place where they could truly fear you by trusting you, by trusting you for the first time in saving faith. God, that's my prayer for the unbelievers that are here. They're nice people, good people, hardworking people. They're trying, but they, they don't know your son, Jesus. God, may, may they come to a place where they fear you in a real way by trusting your son, Jesus, for the first time in saving faith. Do a great work in our hearts and lives, in saving souls, and in sanctifying our lives, for it's in Jesus' good name. Amen.